I like cute clothes. I like having stylish outfits and I hate shopping. Armoire makes getting dressed easier. Armoire is a clothing rental membership option. And Janet and I recently have both tried it out. And you guys, it is so much fun. You go to their website, you get to take a little quick style quiz, takes five minutes, and then you get presented a list of beautiful clothing, pictures, wonderful clothes that you can pick out and get delivered to your house for you to try and wear in the comfort of your own home without going out and determine what looks cute, put together outfits without investing a ton of money. Right now, our listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off your first month. That is up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash envoys. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E, dot style slash envoys to get 50% off your first month and never have to worry about what to wear again. Try armoire today. Even still, men aren't typically thought to be the primary caregiver of young children. Stay tuned to hear from a stay-at-home dad and an entrepreneur, and why his role still seems so unusual. Picture the primary caregiver of a small infant, a newborn. Who's holding that baby? What did you picture? Okay, now take another moment. Picture the primary caregiver of a young boy, approximately age six. What do you picture? You probably pictured a woman in both cases. Most people do. You almost certainly did not picture today's guest, Damon Brown, who is and has been the primary caregiver for his two sons, ages six and nine currently. Damon is a journalist, an entrepreneur, and an author, and I know him because we serve together on the board of directors of the American Society of Journalists and Authors. So on the one hand, we have a lot in common. We're both writers, authors, and parents of boys but our experiences have also been very different. I'm a white woman. Damon is a black man. Thank you for joining us today, Damon. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. I'm curious, as we were doing that, what do you picture? I mean, obviously your lived experience is that you, yes, you have been the primary caregiver for a newborn, but is that what you picture first? Wow, that's a really good question. I think it depends on my mood. Yeah. So um, I'm African-American. My wife is Hindi, originally from India. She, um, uh, her and her family immigrants uh, moved here when she was around three. Okay. um, And was raised in Southern California. So she would be called zero generation, right? Because Mm -hmm. born somewhere else, but, but, but raised here. And, um, and then I have a variety of, of people in my family. My great-grandmother's actually from New Orleans. So that in itself, she's probably a blend of different cultures. Sure. So I think, you know, I think it depends on on, on my mood. And uh, yeah, at that moment, though, I was just mesmerized by your voice, to be honest. <laughs> That's a good thing for podcasting. Thank it you. is, it is. I appreciate <laughs> your podcast voice. As you now know, and one of the things, listeners, that I love about this conversation is even though Damon and I are similar in age, parent-wise, I'm ahead of him. My kids are older. Um, Mine, as you know, the youngest is now 16, almost 17. Can you believe it, Janet? A couple of weeks, he'll be 17. Um, So Damon came to parenthood later than I did. He's further ahead than me career-wise, and probably these things are definitely related. (laughs) Thank you. I, I appreciate that that comment. I don't agree with that last part, but but it, you know I'll, I'll take it. And it ends up being this thing of um, my parents had me when they were very young. They were uh, twenty and twenty two. My parents had me. I'm the oldest of the six siblings. They had me when they were uh, thirty five and thirty four. 
Wow. See, and then right. Maybe Interesting. it's maybe it's the counterpoint. But one of the things that um, my mom said, and I'm super close to her. She said, "What happens is that you can kind of choose when you want to live your own life." Yeah. So for her, again, she had me when she was 20, was a single mom for a little while, and then married my stepfather. And so by the time I was heading to college and I left left home at like 17, if you do the math, she was like 37. Yeah. Which is relatively young. So she was she like was young yet. Yeah. So she's like been in Italy a bunch of times and you know, learning different languages and you know, living her life. Uh, for both my my uh, wife and I, and we're we're around the same age. I'm a little bit older than her, but we're around the same age, and we like built our careers. You know, um, as you know, Jenny, I've done a bunch of books, yeah. did my traveling, did book tours, and all this stuff. But I was able to do that. My wife was able. She's a pediatrician, so if you know anything about um, about um, medical <laughs> school and stuff like that, like that's you don't even get out until you're like thirty. It's all encompassing too. Oh, great. And nursing, of course. Right. Of course, with your background, you understand, you know, so it takes so much time and you were able to do that, but you did that while you were having kids and props to you for doing that. Um, The folks that that were in our circle that went to med school and stuff like that and had kids at the same time, it was just a really rough go for them. (laughs) And so that went into part of the thinking too. Um, And the last part is that culturally we're really different. So I'm originally from Atlantic City, South Jersey, African-American family. You know, so if you kind of think of like, you know, us being kind of like the odd couple, you know, because we're so much different culturally. Yeah. And so I think it also took a little while for our respective families to also understand each other, too. Um, and so you imagine me being from the East Coast and then, you know, my wife being from Northern India and just it's like a sitcom in the making. You know, so I think it took a little while to kind of get the families to gel too. So there's a lot I of would things. Watch that there. sitcom, by the way. I would, I really would. Don't tempt me. Don't tempt me. Ooh. So as you now know very well, raising boys is a challenge. And I feel like raising boys now in this is this era of evolving gender norms, which is a beautiful and a wonderful thing. But we're raising our boys at a time when societal expectations for men and boys, all of that is in flux. Culture is in flux. You alluded to that. Then in a lot of ways, you yourself have stepped out of and beyond societal boxes. So you're moving through the world at the same time as a primary caregiver, African-American of small children in a world that's not entirely sure that that's a normal thing yet. It's not, they they know it's not a normal thing. (laughs) Yeah, let's be clear about it. And that was the most interesting adventures were when my wife went back to work um, at around the time that uh, our first son, Alec had turned four months old. And um, so it was a, a nice, a nice period of time. And uh, it was just me and little guy. And it was, we lived in San Diego Diego at the time. And so I would put on the baby Bjorn, stuff him inside of it, and then walk to the local, to the grocery store. It was a walkable neighborhood, which was part of the choice, which I love walking. And so be able to be outside at San Diego. So it's beautiful outside. And the amount of commentary in regards to you know, is it, oh, is this daddy day, you know, or, or are you taking over for mommy while she's resting? And it's like, no, nah, like this is, this is my job. And there's a whole nother layer to it with being African-American and still being, even though I was in my thirties, still being relatively young. Sure. So there wasn't the confusion of me being like a grandpa or something. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, right. oh no, That's that baby's definitely layer. yours. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and my sons look like me. So it's like, that baby's definitely yours. Yeah, right. And you're wandering around. I think it was interesting, interesting um, discussion, too, with particularly with the generation above us. So our, our parents, my interactions with them, it usually went one of two directions for the women. They were either fond about it. 
as far as saying, wow, I missed that period of time. Mm -hmm. Or they asked me a bunch of questions to see if I was overwhelmed. But I think that's a little bit of projection based on however their partner might have been. I'm going to say as a woman, I think it's also a bit of, and I don't know, right? I don't know the women that you were talking with. I'm conjecturing too. Go ahead. Yeah. Right. I think some of it is actually a way that we show support because the generation of women above you, they know it's hard and it's overwhelming. So by asking that, it's sort of our way of saying, yeah, it's okay to be overwhelmed by this because this is hard. Yeah. And what's funny is that Part of it is based on uh, gender norms for me. And another part of it is based on my personality. If I'm overwhelmed, I'll say I'm overwhelmed. Uh And so, right. And so I'm like, right. And again, Jenny, we've known each other. So I'm pretty, I'm pretty direct. If I'm like, hey, this is too much. I'll be like, this is too much. And so there's a certain amount of this. This goes back into some of the writing that I do with them entrepreneurship and in the in the books and even the business coaching that I do where I've I've been whether it's personality or the culture I was raised in or just luck I've been given the gift of emotional honesty so mm-hmm. I can say I'm overwhelmed or I'm sad or what have you and to jump ahead a little bit I'm realizing that's one of the biggest gifts that I'm actually giving my boys because like my grandmother died, someone I was really close to about three years ago. Okay. And they saw me crying. And I was like, hey, this is what happened. This is the equivalent of my mom dying, you know, for y'all, you know, blah, 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 and just breaking yeah. it down. And now, like, I'm just being me. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Right. And now I'm like, wait a second. No, this is actually a gift to them, too. So however they want to present, where they want to do the old school stoic alpha male which is similar to my grandfather who I mean, like didn't show any emotion you know very we, much a, every family know. has them whether it's this generation or the one above let me tell you oh my gosh i didn't find out um about my great grandmother being from new orleans until right before my grandfather passed away like because he didn't talk like and i'm glad i got that little gem like that's that not I'm even a about. super personal detail there i mean that's no. That's biography. <laughs> that's basic fact. It's like, no, that's she was actually an orphan. So she like she was she was an orphan in New Orleans. It's like, but who knows what kind of, and this gets into my, my work, who knows what kind of trauma is related to that. Mm-hmm. So I can like be proud about it in, in the pictures. You, you can see like I got my New Orleans cups up there. I used to live in New Orleans. So I always felt that bond with the city, but I didn't know why. Oh. For him. Who knows what his family went right, through? Right, right, right. You know what I mean? Particularly right. at that time. Again, um, it's an African-American guy. He would have been, um, I think it would have been his early 90s by now. He okay. passed away a few years ago. Um, but he would have been in his early 90s. And so if you think about that generation in the South, who knows what kind of crap he was going through. So maybe it was just too traumatic. And he's like. It's safer to not talk because, you know, one, it's safer. And nobody cares anyway. I mean, it's easy to come to that conclusion when that is the world around you. And, you know, now that we're talking, I'm really curious to hear your perspective on this. This idea, you know, nobody cares anyway. My gut instinct and observation, I think there are a lot of guys today and boys who still feel that way. Absolutely. In a lot of ways, and you're old enough, you know this now, this emotional honesty of yours is unique. There's not a lot of men who that is one of their primary gifts at this point in time. There are men who get there and often it is a a process and a struggle to get there. But I I also have to give some pushback. Um, It's one of the, um, I'm a big Brene Brown fan. And it's one of the most revealing things that I've read from her was that it's also if we want to get binary about it, women also learning to be emotionally honest and accepting that emotional honesty from, assuming you're heterosexual, that that emotional honesty from your partner. How many times have we said that, Janet, in Man some up, way or another? Right? Where 
you know, <laughs> we say we want y'all to tell us what you're thinking. And we tell you you're wrong all the time <laughs> in what we say, in what we do, in our body language. So we got work to do. Absolutely. And it ends up being, ends up being a, a bigger process. And a lot of people I care about, a lot of people I support are also in the queer community. Yeah. It's the LGBTQ community. And they're dealing with similar issues. And so so that's why I'm like, I don't want to just limit it to the binary thing or men versus women, whatever. Yeah, it's like, I appreciate that. Is a societal issue. And what's deep is that um, to take a step back, my dad actually uh, left when I was probably, I would have been like nine months old. And so my mom and my dad broke up again. They were 20 and 22. So over yeah. time, I'm like, oh my God, like y'all didn't, y'all didn't know what you were doing. No offense, you know, as far no, as having kids. Damon, really just... Wait until your kids, like I have had this happen now. Like my oldest now hit the age that he was where I had him. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> how did that feel? Wait, hold on a second. I want to know how that felt. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, I've said this to Janet privately, and I'm not sure if we said it on the podcast. I am a hundred percent sure that if somebody were to drop an infant into my son's life and he had to protect and take on responsibility for that, he would do just fine. Mm -hmm. Right. He is a decent person and he knows how to get through life. But I also see there's so much learning and going on yet. And I can see in him, especially, he does not want to be doing that in his life right now. Therefore, he absolutely should not be doing that in his life right now. It yeah. is this, It is a very strange thing when your kids get to that age. And I now have two of them who are older than I was when I got married. They have learned my lesson and they are not married yet. <laughs> I mean, that's perspective. And the reason why I was thinking about that was again my grandfather rest in peace very stoic um almost like he's silent generation like there's a reason why they're called that a veteran of one of the wars like just mm -hmm. he was in the navy you know what i mean just he's that that guy raised six kids all that stuff with with my grandmother my dad was overwhelmed by the responsibility required of taking care of me mm. or to make it more objective to take care of a baby. And for him, he felt like he had to figure certain things out before he came and take care, took care of us. The twist, you know, the John Lennon saying, right? Yeah. If you want God to laugh, make plans. <laughs> so he ended up leaving my mom met my stepfather about three or four months later when I was a toddler. And that ended up being wonderful guy, the, the pop who raised me. But the way that my dad functions through life and level of sensitivity that he feels like he has, he's not as expressive of me as me at all. But compared to his dad, He's he's like a crier. You know what I mean? Like he's yeah. ridiculously sensitive compared to his dad as far as how he expresses things. Compared to me, though, I'm like, what are you doing? Like, why aren't you? Why can't you talk about that? You're like, you know. <laughs> and again, yeah. South Jersey, so I could be confrontational. I'm like, why don't you want to talk about that? What's the problem? Like, but for him, he feels like he's opening up everything. So my whole point is that all that is relative, and so. With what you're experiencing as far as your kids being older, I'm curious about that as far as what level or lane my kids are going to be at based on where I am. But I, I'm but it wasn't until I was older where I'm like, I'm like, oh, my dad isn't tripping. He's actually doing really well in that regard compared to my 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 uh, my grandfather. Just like I'm doing really well. And he'll say so. I'm doing That's really awesome. well compared to my dad. <laughs> right. And so I'm like, wow, where are my kids going to be? You know, so that I, level I'm on right now. I have long thought through my growing up and parenting journey of the phrase evolution through the generations. Like mm. all of our families have their stuff and your family specific stuff 
slightly different than my family's specific stuff. Janet, your family stuff different than mine. And sure, there's some common themes because as humans, it's, you know, connection, abandonment, these things are universal, whether the specifics vary or not. My dad sounds like he has a lot in common with your grandfather. My dad's now 86. So your grandpa being in the 90s, you know, in his 90s, if he was alive, generationally, we each try and do a little bit better and move the family forward. And listeners, I think this is important because when you compare yourself and your parenting or your kids with this. I don't know, perfect imaginary family that we all like to picture the ones that have it all figured out and they're emotionally intelligent and they're not yelling and they're solving everything. And, you know, one, that's not real for most families all the time or barely ever. And two, look at what came before you and look at where you are now. If you have taken some steps from that, you're doing beautifully well. Hmm. I agree. And same thing, like it's parallel with, with, um, with my wife, where it's, um, they had their challenges, again, immigrants from Northern India. So they had their challenges, just like my inner city family over in South Jersey, over in Camden had their challenges. Yeah. And so two things are interesting. Number one, there's certain conversations that me and my father-in-law have, even confrontations. And it really gets down to vulnerability. And so there are certain things that he'll say that are critical or whatever. And now it's to the point where, especially again, I'm a coach. So I know yeah. <laughs> I know the questions to ask and, and it'll narrow down and suddenly it will come from a fear that he has or something that happened to him ages ago that he's still carrying from you know, 40, 50 years. And we'll talk about that. I That's feel amazing that you can I'm have privileged. those conversations like, I'm, with him. Wow. I'm saying, yeah, but I mean, we didn't always get along. So that's why I'm trying to make that part clear too. So it wasn't like, it's like, oh yeah, you're like my son, blah, blah. I'm like, no, because we're so oh, different. I yeah. mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure that as your in-laws are raising your daughter and they're thinking about her future, you weren't who they pictured. I hear from parents all the time how bath time can be such an ordeal. And yet bath time can be really fun. In fact, here in the very cold winter, we use bath time as an activity. Dabble and Dollop has got this dialed in because they have bath products that are not only natural, healthy, free of toxins, all the things we want for our kids, but they're fun. Jen, you said when your boys were young, they loved to make potions. My son, Tyler, had so much fun mixing things together, making potions, recipes. He would have loved Dabble and Dollop's Day at the Beach bath mixing set because it's a collection of soap scents and a little mixing thing. And your kids can combine scents and make their own creations. It is exactly the kind of thing that can turn bath time into a fun, enjoyable, creative endeavor instead of just a fight. And I will say the bubbles have been bow tested in the bathtub and they last. They stay bubbles for a long time. Dabble and Dollop has everything from bath time shampoos, bubble baths, body washes, conditioners, lotions, bath bombs, bath toys and accessories. There's so many things to explore at Dabble and Dollop. Go to dabbleanddollop.com slash onboys to get 20% off your first order. That's dabbleanddollop.com slash onboys, 20% off for being an onboys listener. I hear from parents all the time how bath time can be such an ordeal. And yet bath time can be really fun. In fact, here in the very cold winter, we use bath time as an activity. Dabble and Dollop has got this dialed in because they have bath products that are not only natural, healthy, free of toxins, all the things we want for our kids, but they're fun. Jen, you said when your boys were young, they loved to make potions. 
my son Tyler had so much fun mixing things together, making potions, recipes. He would have loved Dabble and Dollop's Day at the Beach bath mixing set because it's a collection of soap scents and a little mixing thing and your kids can combine scents and make their own creations. It is exactly the kind of thing that can turn bath time into a fun, enjoyable, creative endeavor instead of just a fight. And I will say the bubbles have been bow tested in the bathtub and they last. They stay bubbles for a long time. Dabble and Dollop has everything from bath time shampoos, bubble baths, body washes, conditioners, lotions, bath bombs, bath toys and accessories. There's so many things to explore at Dabble and Dollop. Go to dabbleanddollop.com slash onboys to get 20% off your first order. That's dabbleanddollop.com slash onboys, 20% off for being an onboys listener. Let's see. Uh, uh, African-American from South Jersey who makes a living independently and researches technology and intimacy. No, no, I right? was not. No, yeah. <laughs> no checklist. <laughs> nope. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a pharmacist. I'm not an um, engineer. I'm not even a lawyer. You know, but but that but that generation, and particularly that generation of immigrants, you yeah. know, from from Western Asia, if you want to call it that, that's that was the vibe. It's still the vibe, to be honest. Um, but when I did two startups while I was uh, raising the the uh, our first kid, Alec. And the second startup called Cuddler, it connected people for hugs. It was an app. We ended up getting a quarter million users, ended up selling it right after my son's second birthday. And so I would get up super early in the morning, uh, 3.15 or so, work from 3.15 to 6 a.m. My son would wake up at 6 a.m. like clockwork, and I'd spend the day with him. My wife would get home around 5.36 p.m., We'd barely get through dinner, as you can yep. imagine. <laughs> get get our son to bed, right? Get a hug or some type of intimacy, something. And we both would pass out. That was the life for those first two years of Alex's life. Because I was an entrepreneur from when my wife went back to work. So again, that was four when he was four months to when I sold the second app, when he just turned two. And my father-in-law ran up when FaceTime started. So it was a while ago. Yeah. So FaceTime started, or at least the grandparents were getting on there. And I remember my father-in-law FaceTiming. And I went to hand it to my wife. And he's like, no, I want to talk to you. And I was like, okay. <laughs> like, I, you know, I'm like, okay, well, your father-in-law wants to talk to you. And he's like, he's like, yeah, like she showed me that you sold your business. And there was a and I was on one of the newspapers, whatever, and it was a picture of me with with Alec, my my first. And he's like, he's like, you were able to do that at the same time. And I was like, yeah, that's what I've been doing. And he's like, I, that is amazing, and that's now something. it made sense to him suddenly. But he didn't have the tools to say, oh well, Damon stays up late at night. And whenever I'm around, he's just at home and he's sitting in front of his computer and he's on his phone and he's playing with the kids, you know, and my daughter is like, like a pediatrician and she's over there kicking butt. Like, what? Right. why did you marry what? this guy? What is this guy doing? <laughs> right. And you're I don't creating this- I'm like, OK, if I didn't have the tools and the context, I used to live in Silicon Valley. So I know my vision. I know what the possibilities are. He didn't. Right. But when my company got acquired, he's like, oh, so that crazy stuff you're doing is actually helping pay the mortgage? Really? Like, it, he didn't make the connection. I got to ask you a question about that. You know, yeah. as I was preparing to talk to you today, it occurs to me, for one, you have been on the edge of um, technology and culture for a long time. You wrote a book about porn and pong and its influence on society. When was that, Damon? That was 2008. Yeah. 2008. You That's right writing. about sexuality and video games. That's right, and how it was a precursor barometer, um, a um, canary in the coal mine for where technology was going to be used as far as intimacy. 
And of course, now 15 years later, yeah, wow, this 15 years. That's crazy. 15 years this year, then we see AI, we see um all these kinds of things. We see um the intimacy that's occurring on YouTube and other things that we're trying to make sure our kids don't see too much of it. Um, because I was a researcher in technology and intimacy as a journalist for like the New York Post and Playboy and all those things, I saw what was coming. And so the book did not do ex- really well. <laughs> you were ahead of your time, maybe. Exactly. It was one of those things where everybody that that bought it, like loved it. And my my claim to fame was that it was the most stolen book from the Stanford Library. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Because remember, I was in Silicon Valley when it came out, and they were like, "No, this is a this is a big deal." I'm like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> like, so that's my claim to fame. I'm going to stick so by that. So wait a minute. The way your Go book on. sales got the way they are is uh, Stanford Library had to buy multiple copies to replace the stolen ones. They had to recoup, it. right? Exactly. I, I think because I'm I'm being completely honest. I was talking to someone there when I had a, an event in, in that area, and I think they said it had been stolen like five times. Yeah. I, wrote, I mean, you wrote a book worth stealing. There's something to that. <laughs> that and um, I ended up working with Museum of Sex over in New York and doing a couple other things that were just my main thing. And Jenny, you're familiar with this because we've known each other for a while. My main thing is to move the culture. And if there's a direction that we're going in, I'd rather us be at the wheel and I'd rather us talk about it versus not talking about it. So let's talk about, you know, you were doing all of this before you had children. That's right. Now you yeah. have a six-year-old and a nine-year-old. Yeah. Nine is certainly old enough that you're aware that, you know, he can go online and find all kinds of things that you'd rather he didn't find. We just we discovered hear- Google a few months ago, and I am uh, I am worried. Because, I mean, I'll be honest, and Janet, we've had this conversation too. Like, it was totally normal back in our day. I had an encyclopedia and I looked up sex, right? If I type that in Google, what I'm getting is very different. You're not getting diagrams. No, it's not, it's not Encyclopedia Britannica. No, no. So given everything, you know, that, you know, technology, culture, intimacy and intimacy and porn can be very, very different things. And now you're Absolutely. raising children. You're not somebody who's afraid of tech. Um how are you handling all of this in your family? Really carefully, really carefully. That technological bend, I see that in, in our eldest, Alec. Okay. That creative like He's your bend, child. Definitely my kid. And then um, that creative bend and that uh, I'm really into music. So the, the musical bend, the I want to create something out of nothing, that's uh, Abby, our youngest, who's six. I'm treading very carefully. I guess that's the best way I can explain it with this part of the process. Just because with my eldest being like me, and I already described like the career stuff and decisions I've made, borders don't really work with me. Mm -hmm. So it's like my wife is, you know, an immigrant from India. I'm the stay-at-home dad. She's not a stay-at-home mom. You know what I mean? Like I did a book about technology and 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 um, and sexuality back when it wasn't cool. Like if it's not just a matter of saying don't do this, it's more like if you're going to tread into these territories, these are the mile markers and this is the compass. And I'm slowly trying to have those conversations with them, even as far as um, it was really sweet where. I'd say it's happened a few times, but over the past week, my eldest said he wanted to create a time machine, which isn't unusual in this household. I'm like, okay, <laughs> of course it's bedtime. They're supposed to go to sleep. Of course it's bedtime. You know the deal. It's like, okay, now you want to, now you want to turn into Isaac Asimov, you know, mm-hmm. right after sleep. I was like, well, okay, well, there's a couple of limitations to that. There's a guy named Einstein that talked about that. I was like, why, why do you, why do you want that though? You know? And he's like, well, so, you know, so you guys never get old. And so we can always be, Aww. right? So it was, I, I couldn't even get mad. I'm like, oh, okay. Aww. But you know me well enough. I'm like, well, life is defined by death. So we're not always going to be around. And he said, well, I want you guys to always be around. 
And I was like, yeah, but you're not always going to be around. <laughs> right. And I was like, Fair. there's going to be a certain point where ideally you're going to be our age yeah. and we'll be the age of the grandparents. Like just trying to give them that, that, that context to say like sex, life, death, uh, even as far as like, I lost my last grandparent a few months ago. So even like them seeing my process with that yeah, and being like, okay, like, so the great grandmas who almost all the great grandmas are still alive for them, but they're all on my wife's side. Okay. I was like, great grandmas that you don't feel like talking to them. You should probably talk to them because there's going to be a certain day and they're not they're here. Go back to where they came from. Like, like all of us. So trying to set it up so that it's not just let's talk about sex, but more like, no, this is an element. This is an element. This it's is a just part one. of life. Right, exactly. Right. The circle of life is a uh, Elton John said. But trying to trying to break it down and be like, this is a bigger context. I'll give a really quick, simple example. I saw folks drinking growing up. And then when I turned 17, I had a drink with my uncle and my pop, the, the guy who raised me. And it was fantastic. There's actually a Polaroid of it somewhere around here. I need to go find it. And it's a, just a cute little picture. And we had a shot of Goldslager. And it and it wasn't, and again, I left home at 17. So I was already, I was already on my way out. And uh, I got to college again at 17 and people were getting wasted. And I was like, what are you doing? It's like, no, like I'm getting messed up, blah, blah. And I had no interest in that. But that's because... I did that with my folks. So that taboo wasn't there. So people were getting wasted, at least at my college. <laughs> people were getting wasted. <laughs> it was not just your college where people <laughs> were getting wasted. I'm trying to be kind here. I don't want to shade anybody else's college. But you know what I mean? And it's like, I have that same idea and principle with how we want to raise our kids. And you know, my wife's a pediatrician and she focuses on hormonal things. And so it's like, between the two of us, it's like, we're going to talk about, yes, you know, this happens to your penis. Yes, whatever. Like those things are, you know, particularly again, after I, I, I wrote a few books on intimacy and technology, you know, with them having us as parents. Yeah. It's like there shouldn't be an area that that we're not going to feel. Right. I mean, you've got the child development side, the biology side, totally covered on mom's side. You understand the tech side and just through your work. You know, one of the things that we've talked about on the podcast previously is that so many of us, and by us, I mean parents and adults today, parents, teachers, um, grandparents, we talk about sex with our kids. We don't talk about intimacy. We mm -hmm. miss that part. We talk about the mechanics and we talk about the don't do this. It hadn't occurred to me until we started talking that that's an advantage that you bring into parenting your kids is that you are already looking at at um, human relationships and what role intimacy plays. That's yes, huge. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. It doesn't feel like an advantage when you're in the trenches, but it does not. <laughs> but yes, you're absolutely right. It is, it is, it is a toolbox that that I think both my wife and I have taken for granted. And just looking at the range of intimacy again with with Cuddler, it was about people connecting for hugs. So it was like Tinder or Grinder, but platonic. So they already know that daddy created that app. So it's yeah. like, there's there's a way that you can be a guy and create intimacy without putting your penis somewhere to be 500% blunt about it. And so again, that, that possibility when uh, quite a few years ago, I think it was our youngest, he was like three, maybe four. I was putting on, I usually wear a blazer. And so that's kind of like my outfit when I'm doing work or I'm coaching or whatever, doing a talk. Mm -hmm. And I was putting on the blazer and my youngest said, daddy, what are you doing? I was like, oh, I have to take this call. And he was like, are you going to do a Ted talk? And I was like, what? And I bring up that instance where with the four Ted talks I've done, that's normalized for them as black and brown boys yes. where it's like oh yeah daddy's doing another ted talk whatever right that's normal that's what daddy does when that's he normal. has a blazer on 
Yeah, daddy, daddy's always around and he makes our lunches. That's normal. Whatever. I'm you know, they, they don't they don't think about that. And and that goes back to what you're talking about with intimacy and sex, where ideally what you're talking about will be a good thing where they'll be like, oh yeah, I can I can hug this person or that person, whatever. And it could be just because I feel like having a hug. Yeah. It doesn't have to lead to sex. It doesn't have to lead to me doing something creepy. If they expect something, more importantly, because we talk a lot about boundaries. Yay. It's like, I just used the word boundary this morning, so they know it really well. As in, <laughs> leave daddy alone. This is a boundary. I literally said that. I'm like, you need to leave me alone in a minute, right? But that boundary, and that gets into, again, not so much intimacy, but sex. Yeah. As being young black and brown boys being saying this is what a boundary is this is what a boundary means not only will you respect the boundaries of other people but you also respect the boundaries of yourself that part that last part i mean the first part is extremely important obviously that last part though we don't talk about that no we don't talk about saying no actually maybe you don't feel like having sex right now Maybe that touch is uncomfortable to you. Just because you're a guy, you might identify as straight or whatever, that doesn't mean that once you get an opportunity or you get a little opening, then it's your job to run into it. Yes. No, actually. It's your job to do a temperature check as far as where you're at, you know, philosophically, do a temperature check as far as where you're at, and then determine what boundaries you're comfortable with. That message is so important and so um, not frequently shared or emphasized with our boys. And I'm, I almost, we parents, the culture at large, we spend so much time because yes, consent is a big issue. Boundary is a big issue. And so we talk to our boys about the importance of getting consent. They need to know that they can consent and need to consent as well. All of our boys need to know this. Yes. And I have not raised black and brown boys, but I know that there's this whole other layer of cultural stuff that kind of says, you know, well, hey, you need to always be up for this. And, you know, why wouldn't you if you got the chance? Go ahead. I'm so glad that you are having those conversations with your sons now and that we're having this conversation so that everybody can learn from this. All of our boys need to know you your boundaries matter, too. Yeah. And to do that check-in and, and be self-aware. I'm really big on, on self-awareness. So that's a regular conversation in our house. And it's like, you have to be self-aware enough. You have to be brave enough to set those boundaries, curious enough to have those conversations as far as saying, is this a boundary for you? Is it a boundary for me or whatever? And then self-aware enough to say, I want this. I don't want that. Like to me, that is real independence that's real bravery that's real confidence because we talk about you know the traditional old school straight american male and talk about being confident being brave but then someone's going to make a decision for you and then you're just going to run with the decision the psychology kind of messes me up like it doesn't it doesn't make sense to me and so if you really if you really are who you say you are then you'll say, I like this. I don't like that. You don't like that, but I like this. Okay, well, maybe it's not going to work with us. And that could be in a work situation. It could be uh, the two boys playing together, you know, um, on the floor, you know, the, the two sons. It could be um, an intimacy relationship. It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. But having that clarity of self. So kind of working backwards from there, because if you have the clarity for self, then you at least have the awareness of what those boundaries are. And then if you're aware of what those boundaries are, then it's a matter of being brave enough to speak about them. And then I would argue that if you speak about those boundaries and you're clear on your boundaries, then that raises the comfort level of other people. And then they can actually be clear about their boundaries too. So it's almost like when you raise yourself, then other people are going to respond to that. Janet is nodding, 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 nodding in agreement. It occurs to me that your whole life, your career, your parenting has been all about you finding and creating your own boundaries 
rather than accepting the ones that society has laid out. Well, you're a guy, so here's where you stay. Obviously, your boys have you as their primary example of, you know, what a man does and what a man is. So they know it includes emotional honesty. They know it includes discussions of boundaries. They know that uh, dads can give TED Talks. But at six and nine, they're probably also quite aware of, of societal messages. Some, you know, you go to school and you start picking up all kinds of things. Um, it's, it's starting right now. Yes. Okay. Uh, I'm, we're in the, we're in the thick know, of it. We don't have a ton of time left, but I'm just curious, you know, if you, your boys are starting to grapple with some of this outer messaging of this is what guys should do, but then this is what I'm also seeing. How is that for you? It was interesting. We had a, um, particularly for my eldest, again, nine, he was having issues with his homework and we found out that he stopped doing his homework a while ago. I'm guessing you two can relate. I don't feel like <laughs> In outer space with this. <laughs> no, Janet's got this glowing look on her face. She's like, oh, a nine-year-old boy stopping doing his homework. Hmm, never heard that before. <laughs> exactly. Let's say, like, I'm not even going to pretend like it's some specific family trauma, but that it's part of the norm. But you know what? Here's the thing. When it is happening in your family for the first oh, it's, time. Oh, it's different. It's different. <laughs> it is shocking and confusing. And what are we doing wrong? Right? I mean. All right. So so mommy's a specialized pediatrician. Daddy's ha Daddy has a master's in magazine publishing and his own business. We're not playing around with education and, you know, you getting to where you need to go. So we take that part very seriously. And so I pulled him aside and I was like, sweetheart, why did, why didn't you, why didn't you ask for help? Cause he was essentially stuck. Okay. Like, why didn't you ask for help? And he's like, well, I wanted to be independent. So, you know, that was like, that became a mini Ted talk right there. <laughs> Not that I'm going to do a Ted talk, but he got a Ted talk. <laughs> like, <laughs> Oh, I also love that Damon's child is like, let me speak to you in words that you can understand father. I want to be independent. I was like, oh, okay. Okay. And I was like, sweetheart, that's not independence. Independence is getting the support that you need to create the life that you want. Ooh. Which that's very sweet that you responded that way. He did not. Uh, um, no. <laughs> <laughs> that's why you need other parents. He wasn't joyful like... about it. <laughs> he didn't do the church. You no. <laughs> yeah. So that's the kind of friction and the back and forth. I imagine it's going to happen a lot more. And y'all would have more insight into that. But I, I feel like that's going to be my basic rule. And this might be might be like my last big thought. My basic rule that I, that I do is that whenever I'm interacting with the boys, whenever I'm about to lose my temper, which I do, et cetera, I think about where are the boys going to be 10 years from now? So it's like if my kid is 19 instead of nine, and he's in college or at this point, we don't even know if college is going to be around by the time that's, right. let's be real about it. But he's doing his startup or he's traveling the world, whatever cool stuff he's going to do. There's going to be a moment when he's going to be broken Prague or whatever. And he's going to need to ask for help. So are we going to have that conversation then when being a knuckleheaded 19 year old? As I was, he's probably not going to hear me. Or are we going to have this uncomfortable conversation now when he's actually under my roof? And so, I mean, I can I can speak as the parent of a 19-year-old, formerly the parent <laughs> of a nine-year-old. I'm listening. Lot, he is a lot more likely to listen to you when he's nine. He may roll his eyes and no, he didn't applaud your TED talk. Totally normal. But he's it's in there. And at 19, and you used to be a 19-year-old man, at 19, you're a lot more inclined to say, I got this, and you're going to push it away. You plant those seeds now, and they are still there when they're 19. Thank you. No, it's 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 quite a transition time. So I appreciate the encouragement. <laughs> if you want to know what 19-year-olds are doing today, I will tell you, because this is what happened at my house last night. The 19-year-old, the almost 17-year-old, some other friends, I don't know, 19, 20, 21-ish they're playing cards against humanity on the floor in my basement after going to Buffalo Wild Wings for boneless wings. So that's what the 19-year-olds are doing. <laughs> it sounds familiar. Just exchange a few of those things. And that's me at 19. Sure. Right. <laughs> Listeners, 
I know that you have picked this up already. Damon is an incredibly interesting, thoughtful human being. He's mentioned it a couple of times. He is a business coach. He is an entrepreneur. He has some really cool projects out. So I encourage you to check out his work, DamonBrown.net. That's the, the best hub. And then I have a, um, a TV show called Bring Your Worth. And it's part of my, it's named after my publishing imprint with different books under under it. The Bring Your Worth shows every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, 1130 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. And I talk about a lot of stuff that we talked about here. Um, mm-hmm. I'm obviously not in the parenting aspect, but more about um, how you can show up, how you can create the world that you envision, and uh, how to make an impact, particularly if you're trying to do uh, independent households as we all as we all are. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us today. I love speaking with you. I hope everybody else got a lot out of this. And I really look forward to reconnecting, not in 10 years. I hope we talk again before that, but I want to have you on again in 10 years and see where those boys of yours are and uh, what you have learned since. Well, that blows my mind. I, you know, again, we're kind of, kind of in the weeds of six and nine. So I can't even <laughs> picture, like I can, I, I know whatever we're doing will make an impact 10 years from now, but it's also hard to envision that part. So I'm, I'm going to try not to envision it too hard. <laughs> don't, don't just do your, what you're doing now and it will pay dividends. I promise you. This has been the On Boys Parenting Podcast. We are your co-host, Jennifer L.W. Fink of buildingboys.net and Janet Allison of boysalive.com. In this episode, you may have noticed that Janet didn't do much talking. I was in a coffee shop that was quite noisy, and so I was listening and nodding and agreeing. I hope that you found this episode valuable too. If you did, please tell a friend. And as always, thank you, thank you for supporting our sponsors. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.